Barkley on the take. Giving left. Howard on the touchback. Inside to the five. Howard slams into the end zone. Touchdown! Touchdown Bears! Jordan Howard, a nine-yard run. Snap is back. Coming on a blitz. They throw into the end zone. Left corner up in the air. Elson Jeffrey makes the catch. Touchdown! Touchdown Bears! Bears Hour Live with Lauren Cox and the Draft Doc, Philatosha. Hello and welcome to Bears Hour Live. You are listening to Lauren Cox here with Draft Doctor Philatosian on a Sunday afternoon. It's another Bears football this Sunday, but hopefully we can make it a little bit better, get some Bears talk in there. And you know, it's it's not it's not just a normal show today on Bears Hour Live. We have a very, very special guest in the Bears Hour Live digital studios today with us. We have Greg Gabriel, the Chicago Bears' former director of college scouting. Now he's currently with Pro Football Weekly. You can check out his draft guide he just put out a couple weeks ago. A lot of really great stuff in there, scouting reports on tons and tons of players that they put out over there. Definitely check that out. But Greg, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm doing real good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited, Lauren, to have Greg on with us. Well, I'm excited too, and let's get right into this. Obviously, it's about three weeks until the NFL draft, and you know, a lot of the talk around Chicago now has been about the potential of the Bears trading down. Greg, I wanted to ask you, when when do those trade discussions start happening? Is that the kind of thing where, where they're already having these conversations about moving down, or is that closer to draft day? I mean, when when does where, where are we in the process as far as that goes? In in my experiences, you know we. Seven to ten days out, we'd start making calls and just let people know that we may be interested in moving down, uh, depending on how the board, you know, how the draft goes up until you know our pick, and that, and just let those teams know. Now we didn't let the media know. If a team that we called uh, lets out to the media that uh, such and such team is willing to move down, we have no control over that, you know, and it's not like. Uh, you tell them you can't tell anybody we're calling you because they can do whatever they want to do. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they, could the the uh, so-called insiders, you know, come up with, you know, a certain team is looking to move down, certain teams looking to move up. Yeah, they could, but all that is speculation. I mean, when, when you make the calls known to the teams behind you that you want to move down or vice versa, say a team at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, around in there, they want to move up. They may call the teams in front of them and say, hey, look, at, there's some players we're targeting. We don't think we can get them where we're sitting, and we might want to move up. Would you be interested in moving down? And, again, all you're, you're not setting parameters for a trade. You're just letting teams know that either your pick is for sale or you want to get out of where your pick is and, and, and get up a little bit higher in the draft. Then as you get into draft day, then the calls start getting serious. Again, with my experience, when we uh, made it known that we wanted to trade down, you know, come draft day, uh, we would have a bunch of calls. And uh, the year we took Devin Hester, you know, we uh, had a late first round pick. We wanted to uh, move down into the second. We wanted to pick up more picks in order to, to get some players we were targeting, and one of which was Devin Hester. We knew where we had to go to get Devin Hester and what kind of picks we had. So we just started, um, you know, thinking about trading down, letting teams know. Uh, and then, you know, as the calls came in for, um, teams potentially trying to trade into our spot 
we look at the deals and and you use the uh, trade chart as a as a guide, not an absolute, and then uh, you come up with you know what could be the best deal. Sometimes you're going to get four, five, six offers, and and I, I know one year when we traded down, that was the case. I think we had a half a dozen offers on the table, and we finally decided on the one that that looked like the best, not just when you compare the points on the trade chart, but exactly where those picks were in each round. Now, you said something that really caught my eye and attention, and it's like you're a a treasure trove of information when it comes to this process because you you lived it. So when I see these Twitter hacks jumping at you, I just shake my head to get that clarified. But you said something about teams having more than one board, a positional board with hundreds of names, and then a hot list, and that's the board of guys they want to draft how does that separate itself and who's decide? Is that the GM or is that all the scouts and everybody's on the same page? And this is our hot list of guys that we want. And hopefully they make it to where we're picking. Well, I can't tell you if every team uses the exact term hot list, but it's the same meaning. It's, it's your board from which you're picking your players. And, and there's not 255 names on that. Uh, board. I remember when when Bobby Bethard was a, a general manager in the league. I think you know I don't remember the exact number, but he used to only have like 20 names on the board, and and those were the guys he was going to take. You know, regardless, unless you know, and, and never does it happen that you're going to run. No matter how big or small your board is, you're not going to run out of names because, like I said earlier, everybody's board is differently, and you're not you know, stacking that board of, of, say, 75 names or 100 names as the best 75 or 100 players, it's the players you like at different areas of the draft. These are guys we like in the first and second round. This is a group of guys we like in the third and fourth round. This is the group of guys we like in, in uh, five, six, and seven. And, and you know, you're not going to take a guy that you got in – group five, six, or seven in, in the first or second round, you know, because they're not, they don't have the, the quality of talent or level of talent to uh, be taken in that round. So uh, it, it's just the way you group it. And, you know, I think as, as teams refine the process, they've, they're working with smaller names come draft day. I know every team I've been involved, every draft I've been involved with, that has been the case. Now, when I started off with the Giants, we used to have, you know, and the draft was 12 rounds when I started, we'd have 12 rows worth of names with, and, and there was 28 teams in the, in the league at, back at that time. We had 12 rows of 28. But, you know, teams rarely do that anymore. You only have the players up there that you're interested in. Why throw a name up on the board of a guy that you're not going to draft under any circumstances. It just complicates things. So that's, you know, if you want to call it hot list or, or a draft list or whatever, that's your, the board, which you're, what you're drafting with. Then you have sideboards that are um, set up by position and you're going to have all the cards there or, you know, all the, the, the players rather on those boards. And it's going to be, um, you know, your quarterback. So let's say there's, you got 20 quarterbacks graded. You're going to have them graded one through 20. And if you got 30 running backs, one through 30 of the running backs. And it's everybody. And, and uh, now some teams, because of technology the way it is, they don't have a hard board anymore. It's all on computer, and then they just have it up on a screen. 
You know, they're shooting it through a projector, and it's up on the screen what their board looks like. But it's still the same thing. I personally, I like the hard copy right in front of me. It just, you know, I think it, it's when you've got that big, huge wall full of names, it just helps your thinking process a little bit better than a smaller screen with a lot of smaller names on it, if you follow what I'm saying. But that's just personal preference. Now, we're in the, we're in the time of year where you know, teams are starting to get down and, and get those boards together. And, you know, the Bears are still kind of doing a lot of their pre-draft visits and they're meeting up with different players, bringing guys in for workouts, going and visiting them. No, no, they got to correct you there. They oh, yeah? can't bring anybody in for a workout. That's that's against league rules. You have to work them out either in their hometown or their school. The only people you can work out at a club's facility is a kid that's local. Oh, okay. But you can bring them in for a visit. And the visit has to include some sort of medical. That's league rules. And and when I say some sort of medical, it can it, it can be the trainer asking the player or the prospect, has any have you had any you know physical limitations between the last time we saw you at the combine and now? But there there has to be a medical question asked. Uh, and again, that that's league rule. But a lot of those visits are for informational purposes, interviews, uh, with a quarterback. You might be bringing him in, get him on the board with the offensive coordinator and the quarterback coach, you know, going through his offense at his college, uh, maybe installing some of your own offense with him, see how fast he can pick certain things up, uh, and then put it back up on a board, give it back to you. So there's a lot that goes back and forth. Same thing in him, an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. Offensive line coaches are always thinking about how a certain player will fit in their room. Uh, so, and, and what, what I mean by that is the meeting room. So, you know, if they are, are spending a lot of time with a prospect and they just – you know, personality-wise, there's not a, a, a mesh, and I've seen this happen. You know, the coach will say, hey, you know what, the guy's a good player. I just don't want him, uh, or whatever. Or there, And there's other guys that's the opposite. I really want this guy on my team. He'll fit in with the guys we have. He can compete for a spot, might even be able to start as a rookie. So that that's what goes on during the meetings and also with the private workouts or rather with the visits and also with the private workouts. But, uh, there's no, there's no working out as far as, um, visits. It's just not allowed. Now, now Greg, I know the dog is fired up. I'm fired up. No, I got, I got a puppy and he, people walk oh, by and he starts barking. So that, that's like my lab. Is that a lab back there? He, he's a, he's a half, this guy's a half lab. I had another one for 14 years. Unfortunately, he left us last year. Oh, it's too bad. Yeah, I'm a, so this guy's a year lab. old. She, she will be barking, so I got her sitting down here. Her ears are perking up, listening to the pup bark. <laughs> well, listen, one of the ideas that keeps getting thrown around this draft season, particularly on Twitter, is that teams might be peeking ahead to next year's quarterback class, and that could potentially have some strong prospects in it. In your experience, how far ahead do teams really look? Do you think NFL teams are already scouting those players in comparison? Well, yeah, you're, 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 at some positions, yeah, you, you are scouting ahead, and you're doing that you know, during the fall season. We used to do it, especially with quarterbacks. Um, we wanted to keep a book on the quarterback as long as he was from the time he began as a starter until he actually entered the draft. Problem is, 
with there's so many underclassmen, be it the quarterback position or any other uh, position, you don't know if they're you – know, a lot of these guys next year that they're projecting, they're still going to be underclassmen. Who knows if they're going to come out? Who knows if they're going to get injured? We don't, you don't have the answer to that. You're just looking at the raw talent and saying, you know what, this, guy, this class might be pretty good based on the limited look. You're not doing an in-depth study like you're – like you're doing now with the guys that you really like. It's more a limited look, and, and you're looking at base talent and just saying, yeah, this guy potentially could be a first, this guy could potentially be a second. Uh, but, you know, there's no way you have the time to study these players like you're studying the players in the current draft. Well, speaking of the quarterbacks in the current draft, I know you're a big fan of Deshaun Kaiser, but how, how do you see these top four guys, or maybe even if there's a fifth guy that, that jumps one of the four, that the consensus for is sort of being seen around the draft community, but how do you see it playing out as far as how many of these guys are first-round picks in your eyes, how many of these guys maybe the NFL sees as a first-round pick? What, 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 is your, what is your opinion on the top of this quarterback class? Well, I, you know, I, first of all, I think the class is underrated. The quarterback class is underrated. And the reason I say that is this, is, you know, there's no big dog, so to speak, in the class. You don't have a, a, an Andrew Luck who's an obvious first pick in the draft. Uh, and because of that, you know, a lot of the analysts that look around, oh, it's not that good of a class. Well, no, it is a good class. But, and, and one of the reasons you know that is the amount of private workouts and quarterbacks that are coming in for visits around the league. Then you're also looking at the league and you look at the, the number of teams that have a need. And, and there's nine or ten teams. I can go through a list. You've got Cleveland, Chicago, San Francisco, Arizona, the New York Giants, the New York Jets, Seattle, San Diego, Kansas City, and Houston. I'll have a needed quarterback. And how many quarter, how many top quarterbacks or let's not say top quality quarterbacks are there there in this draft? Not enough to fill the needs of how many teams have a, have a need. Whether it's a, you know it's a team say like Arizona or San Diego that has an older starter and they know they got to start to develop a guy uh, behind them, or it's a team that has a legitimate need and they don't even have a uh, what they would call a first-rate starter at the position. So uh, just because of the need that to me alone says there's these guys are going to go high or higher than a lot of the analysts feel. I I felt you know, for the last month anyway, there's going to be four. I used to think there was three going in the first. Now I think there's four going in the first. I think they're all legitimate first-round type players. Uh, no superstar, but all of them have a chance to become, you know, a quality winning starter in the National Football League, assuming they can make the transition. And it's not easy. That's the unanswered question with a quarterback. You don't know if they can make that actual transition from college football to the NFL. And 50% of it, if not more, is the intangibles. And and their football character, their uh, work ethic, their desire to be a great player, uh, their leadership skills, their intelligence, their ability to uh, read defensive schemes and, and make decisions on the fly, make quick decisions, proper decisions. You know, these are things that sometimes you just don't have the answer to because of the, the style of play that they had at the college they were at. So, um, and part of that is the scout's job and, and really all the decision maker's job, the coach's job to, to look in depth 
especially at that position at the player. You've got to spend an inordinate amount of time at that position to see if, if the guy has the it factor and to see what it takes. If he Does he have what it takes to play quarterback and be a winning quarterback in the National Football League? Now, Greg, let's look at the Bears here. How urgent in your mind of a need do you think the quarterback is for the Bears, and how confident are you in Glennon in both the short and the long term? Because I look at – I love Deshaun Watson, so – I'm looking at this draft, and I, I agree with you 100%. I've been saying it. This is a better quarterback class than anybody's saying, and I think there's four guys that can improve the position or push Glennon for the competition at the quarterback spot. What are your thoughts on that and the Bears? Well, number one, let's talk about Glennon. Yep. Glennon has obvious talent, but for all extents and purposes, he hasn't played in two years. Played some mop-up duty and, you know, played in the preseason. You can't count preseason. You're playing very base offense against base defense. Uh, you know, you're not, especially with a backup quarterback, you don't have the, the number one guys around you. So, you know, how good can you play in situations like that? And, again, the defenses you're playing against are very, very vanilla. So you're just looking at some base things in there and, and just seeing, you know, decision-making. Is he making the right decision? He's making the uh, the right read and making the proper throw and his ball placement on the throw, et cetera. But you're still not getting a whole lot out of it. And the same thing when he comes in for mop-up duty in a game that his team's either been blown out or is blowing somebody else out. Uh, you know, they're just trying to finish out the game, so to speak. You know, it's not uh, that they're trying to make a, a big comeback unless there's an injury, but that hasn't been the case uh, with Glennon. It's been some mop-up mm-hmm. duty. So, and when he was playing uh, in Tampa in his first and second year, playing on a very poor team, he didn't have quality talent around him. So his play was up and down. So really, when it comes down to it, you see a guy that has talent. You're hoping the arrow's going up, but you just don't know for sure. And I think when you look at the at the contract that he got from the Bears, it's the way it was uh, designed. Is you know a lot of money's in the first year. It's good, not great money for a starter, but it is starter money. It's really towards the lower end of starter money, not anywhere near a high end starter money. And they can get out of the contract with relative ease as far as cap hit after the first year if he doesn't perform. You hope that he does perform, but you're giving yourself a little bit of a check and balance uh, with the contract that if he do- it doesn't work out, you know you can you can say goodbye or he drops back down to a you know a backup and it's not going to kill you money wise is the backup situation or if he has to be a backup then you you know you try to restructure the deal you know from from and it's only a three year contract so it's it's not a real difficult thing to do but you know Ryan Pace is on record as saying I want to draft a quarterback every year if possible he's gone through two drafts hasn't drafted a quarterback so now. They, I, I think they got a. They almost have to draft a quarterback, and it gets to now when you get to draft day in three weeks, is it? You know, are they going to draft a quarterback in the first round? Well, if you want to get one of the quality guys, you almost have to. Doesn't mean you have to take it at three. It could mean you drop down and take them wherever you are when you drop down, or you just say, hey, 
you know, that if they have the opportunity to take who they feel is the best quarterback on their board at the third spot in the draft, then they do it. Uh, are they going to do it? I don't know that. I think that just by what they did in free agency, you know, how they signed players at basically all positions of need, it tells me that they're seriously thinking about it. They have uh, didn't an inordinate amount of study on a lot of these guys. One guy that as far as I know, they haven't done much work on, and they really could have. It just hasn't gotten out in public as Trubisky. But they've done a lot of work on Mahomes, a lot of work on uh, Watson, a lot of work on Kaiser. And they know Peterman, and I like Peterman a lot, not, not obviously as a first-rounder, but I'd take him in the second in a heartbeat. Uh, and they had him for a week in the Senior Bowl, so they know him as well as anybody. Greg, just real quick, sorry, because I know Lauren won. I'm of the belief if you got your guy and you know, I mean, I agree with you 100%. I feel as though you can't pass on the quarterback. If you have your guy there on the board, on the clock, then you just take him. How much pressure from the public is that? for Ryan Pace is would he back off and try to trade down, skip his guy and possibly lose his guy based on playing that public perception game? Well, number one, you, you, I mean, anytime you trade back, there's a gamble. And part of the research that you're doing going into draft day is not only setting your own board, but trying to get a feel for what other teams feel about certain players. I'll go back and I said no two teams' boards are alike. You know, you could have a guy rated as a first-round talent on your board. That doesn't mean the other 31 teams has him as a, as a first-round guy. So now it's, okay, I want this guy. We got a first-round grade on him. Where do we got to be to get him? Can we get him in the second round? Maybe you get him in the third round, even though you got a first round grade. But then that's knowing what you think of the player, or what other teams think of the player, what the perception is of that player around the league. And and you know you just you got to make a lot of calls and talk to a lot of people. You know when you're on the road, some scouts like to talk, so you're trying to find out. You know you can be very um, not, I don't want to say secretive, but just. You know, you just start talking about players, and you're not trying to show your hand, but just, you know, you want to give out as little as information as you can and get back as much information as you can. And there's certain ways you can do it, and a lot of times the experience factor plays into it and how you start a conversation, you know, with certain uh, people and, and, you know, trying to get them to talk. And then there's certain media – there are some media people that have some – good inside information. You try to talk to those people and see what you can find out. And a, a lot of times you get accurate information on basically when you have to pull the trigger on a player. So, um, again, I, I, I agree with what you said. You know, if, if they like a guy, quarterbacks get overdrafted. We know that. that, that mm-hmm. That's a fact of life in the NFL. It's because you have to have one. And, uh, so if you, you go back to Jacksonville a, a few years ago, you know, I don't think there's too many people that had Blake Bortles as a top five player, but Jacksonville took him with the third or fourth pick in the draft. And because the general manager had a gut feeling that this guy was, was their guy and he could be a, a, a franchise type quarterback for him. Unfortunately for him, he was wrong. Uh, but, 
you know, he, he went on his gut feeling. Now, you know, is, is Ryan Pace going to do that? You know, we're going to find out in another three weeks if he's going to do that. But uh, we just don't know. And, and what they've, they've done since this crew has been here, Ryan and John, they've done a pretty good job of not showing their hand as far as what they want to do on draft night. And if you look at, at the players they've worked out, the players they've brought in, uh, the players that they've shown a lot of interest in, it's been players at all different positions, guys that you know were had legitimate uh, case for being selected in that top three, top four type of guy. So um, I think your guess is as good as mine is what they're going to do, and I think they're trying to guard it as close as they can. Now, Greg, I want to take you back to that 2003 draft when you guys traded down from, I think it was the fourth overall pick, picked up the 14 and the 22nd, and I think a fourth rounder in there. You got Rex Grossman with the 22nd overall pick. Do you, do you see some similarities with where the Bears are now and where you guys were there? I mean, I think at the time you guys had just signed Cordell Stewart as sort of like that that bridge option. Do, do you see some similarities to the kind of situation that Ryan Pace is coming in now to where you guys were then? Um, You know, that was so long ago. I, I, I think... You know, you go back at the draft uh, the year before, or not the year before, that year itself. You know, we, we wanted to get a quarterback, and Rex was the quarterback we wanted, you know, and we did extensive work on all the, the quarterbacks in that draft. Didn't do a lot on Carson Palmer. He was the obvious number one guy, and he went went number one in that draft. But the other guys, there was uh, Bowler, there was Byron Leftwich from Marshall, there was Rex. Uh, there was uh, Chris Sims from Texas, and I can't remember the other guys. But we did a lot of work on, on Leftwich, Bowler, uh, Sims, and Grossman. But part of the gamesmanship, so to speak, and I can say this now because it's years later, was that we made up our mind that Rex was going to be the guy, and there was people that um, – you know, they didn't like his height. He was just 6'1", um, an underclassman coming out. Uh, Byron Leftwich, he didn't have the numbers that some of these other guys had, um, you know, like Leftwich. And then Bowler was the uh, was the guy with the cannon arm. But when you really looked at him, he wasn't that good. And we had determined that, actually at the Combine, in the interview with the Combine, that we were going to eliminate him from the process. But we still did our work publicly. We did a lot of work on him. We brought him in, and we brought him in. We let the press know that we brought him in. In fact, we even, <laughs> I think, let him speak to the press a little bit. And so, you know, that, when, when we made the trade then, and in that case, I think we made the trade maybe three or four days before the draft, and that was because New York wanted to be in position to get that defense on, I can't even remember his name, the defensive lineman from Kentucky. And they figured if, if, they, if they got to our spot, they could get him. And so we made the deal a few days before the draft. Terry Bradway was the general manager at the time. And then we figured, okay, we can get Rex with the second pick. We wanted to take a defensive lineman with the first pick. But then come draft day, what we didn't anticipate was how many defensive linemen went in that draft. I think about six defensive linemen went before we picked. And so a lot of the guys that you wanted came off the board. We ended up getting the last guy on our list, 
for that position, and that was Michael Haynes, and he didn't work out. Um, part of it was that, you know, we changed schemes the next year after his rookie year. Lovey came in, and he wasn't a fit for that scheme. But really, when it got down to it, he just didn't have strong football character. Great guy and, you know, real intelligent kid, but I don't think he loved football. And, you know, I think people around him will, will tell you the same thing, and that's why he failed as a player. Talented guy. He was the most valuable player at the Senior Bowl. Had a great week down there. Real good career at, at Penn State. But, I think, you know, when you're playing just for the money and the paycheck, it, it comes back to bite you. And, and that's exactly what happened to him because he didn't love the game. But getting back down to the Grossman part, um, because we had put so much public play in the bowler, there was other teams in the league looking for quarterbacks that thought bowler was their guy, and Baltimore actually traded up in front of us and took bowler. So, um, And we were fine with that because we didn't want him anyway. But... <laughs> Because of the games you play, and it's, that's all part of the game. You can't. That's why you can't believe what you're seeing necessarily, because of the, there's a lot of gamesmanship going on. But because Baltimore thought Bowler was going to be our guy, and they wanted him, then they figured they had to get in front of us to get him. And I, I was wondering, as far as when you're evaluating a guy like Haynes, and you know, you, you come to find later on that. He just didn't quite have the love for football. Maybe he, maybe he thought he did, but it wasn't quite a hundred percent there. Do you think that's the hardest part to scout? I mean, what part of the process is the most difficult as far as evaluating players across the board? Well, part part of it is, and he went to Penn State, and Joe Paterno was there. Tough to get information on players, and the information he got wasn't necessarily true. Mm. And you know, the the area scout at the time, you know, swore by the kid. And the people at Penn State were jumping on the table for the kid. But, you know, you just couldn't trust everything that came out of, of Penn State as far as information on players and, you know, what their football character was. And we got bit by it, you know, and, and that's our own fault. That's on us. Uh, we failed with the pick. But at the same time, if you look through uh, history after that, we never took another Penn State player. I, we took, you know, Tyler Reed. Uh, down low a few years later as an offensive lineman. He stuck around for a couple of years, but I think we took him in like the sixth round or something like that. So, you know, it wasn't a, a premium round pick. This was a first round pick that, that didn't work out. But I know in my mind, I just wouldn't trust anything that came out of Penn State anymore because of that instance, because you didn't get good information from the people at Penn State. Now, Greg, your Ryan Pace, Miles Garrett goes one to Cleveland. Next up, Solomon Thomas stays in Cali, goes to San Francisco. Who are you taking if you were the GM of the Bears right now at three? Well, I, I've been on record as saying that I'm, I'm trying to move back. Because mm-hmm. I think that's in this draft, when you look at the, the part of it is, okay, who are, are the next two, regardless of position, the next two guys that could fit that third best player in the draft spot. And one is Malik Hooker from Ohio mm-hmm. State. I think he is special as a safety when you look at the tape. You know, I haven't seen a safety with that kind of range and ball skills in years. Be able to go from the center of the field to the, to the sideline and, and make a play on the ball. And, and just the, the anticipation and the speed, the instincts and the speed that he shows to make plays like that, that's rare. And 
then when you factor in uh, that he's only played football for five years, he still had two years of college eligibility left, the sky's the limit as far as his upside. You know, just a, a talented player. But now you look at between the end of the season and the combine, he had two surgeries, one for a sports hernia. That doesn't scare me. But the other was for a hip labrum. That does scare me on a, a skill position guy. So it becomes a medical position, or rather a medical um, determination. Do the doctors say he's good to go, or the doctors have a question mark? And, and you're not going to know the answer to that. You know, you're going to find out the answer on draft night when, uh, when he gets drafted, now how he gets drafted. If there's teams that have a concern with that injury and the medical people are cautious about it, he's not going to go as high as you think he could go. If he ends up going in the top three or the top five or whatever, then everybody feels he was good to go and he should be, you know, should be good to go at the beginning of training camp. He might miss some time in the OTAs and the uh, off-season program, but he'll be, you know, 100 should be 100 percent at uh, training camp. And the other guy is uh, Jonathan Allen, defensive tackle from uh, Alabama, legitimate top three, top five type of player, dominant player at one of the best defenses in college football, played in a pro-style defense, put up some big numbers. The sack numbers for an inside guy are, uh, are tremendous. Uh, he can play the five technique. He can play the three technique in a four-man front. He's got size, strength, explosiveness, got all the tools. Another medical question. Got two reported to have two arthritic shoulders. Okay, that doesn't mean from a structural standpoint there's something wrong with his shoulder, but he's had surgeries on both, and a lot of times after a surgery, an arthritic condition starts to develop. So, again, you look at the MRIs, you look at the x-rays, you look at how serious the arthritis is, and it becomes a longevity thing. Okay, can he play five, six, seven years without having a problem? You're putting that on your doctors, and the doctors are going to go thumbs up or thumbs down. If the doctors say he's good to go, then you take him. If the doctors say, no, you can't. But, again, we're not going to know the answer to that. No team's going to come out. Now, some team picking a third team might say, oh, he's great. You know, but they could be lying because they want, you know, but you, you can't, you don't care what another team thinks. You only care what you think. And so you got to, you know, have faith in your doctors. And obviously these people have been your medical staff for a long time and you know what their uh, ability is and, and how right they are. And I know uh, for a fact, you know, the, the uh, Bears doctors are excellent, you know, because I, I had a deal with them for so long when I was there, and it's the same two guys. You know, as far as the orthopedic doctors, they do a tremendous job, and generally speaking, from a, a medical standpoint, when they're making a determination on the thumbs up and thumbs down, they're right on 100% of the time. Two years ago, Ryan Pace took Kevin White in the first round, and the injury issue has been pretty much nonstop for him, and even last year, Leonard Floyd was a little bit banged up, but obviously still had a, an encouraging year. And Eddie Goldman's had some injury issues. Howard Cronus Grasso has been on injured reserve. Do you think Ryan Pace has some pressure to maybe avoid a guy like Malik Hooker or even Jonathan Allen with the third pick? Or do you think he's if, if his team doctors give him the go that he would be 100% confident taking a guy that might have some sort of injury questions, at least to us on the outside? Well, you, you go back and look at those guys. They're, they didn't have any injury history in college. You know, they were they were clean. You know, so and, and uh, go back to the year we took Seth Benson. 
you know, said Benson never got hurt. I, I think he missed one game in his in his college career at Texas, or part of one game. He, you know, was a, the epitome of durability. But when he got to our league, he got to, he, he had some shoulder problems. That happens sometimes. But if what what, what you don't want to see is or you don't want to take as a guy who's had durability problems in college. Does he miss practice? Does he miss games? As far as I know, Jonathan Allen hasn't missed practice, hasn't missed games. And the same thing with Malik Hooker. It happened after the season. So, again, you're putting it on the doctors. The doctors are the experts in that area, and they're going to make a determination. I think if the doctors say he's good to go, then you swing the bat. If the doctors are cautious... You, you go on to the next player. But getting back to the original question, I think that makes being at three a little difficult because we don't know the answers. We're never going to know the answers. Obviously, you know, John and Ryan know the answers. But, you know, so I, I think that it puts them a little bit in no man's land. Do they take the quarterback? Now, from from the standpoint of, is the quarterback going to be the third best player on their board? Probably not. But because of the value of the position, you know, you can pull up, push a quarterback up a little bit and take them and say, you know, this is what we're doing. End of discussion. Or you move back and you pick up more picks. And in a draft like this that's really deep, especially in the first three rounds, you pick up another second rounder or a second and a third rounder for moving back from that. Don't forget those those top five picks have a ton of value when you move down, and teams got to pay for them. And it could be, um, you know, a swap of first round picks this year, a second this year, and maybe a, a, a second or, a, or another pick the following year, or a second and third this year, depending on what the chart says to give you a guide. You know, in this kind of draft. That gives you, when you look at the entire package, okay, I'm missing out on this particular player at three, but the package says, let's say they're moving back to nine just to throw a number at the wall. At nine, I can get, I think I can get this certain player, maybe even the guy we wanted at three, but I know I can get this player at nine, plus I'm getting an extra second, plus I'm getting an extra third. And then you look at that entire package and say, are we better off with this or are we better off just staying at three? And that's how you, you make that determination of whether there's value in, in training back or not and, and seeing what you can get. You got to look at the whole package when, when you make that determination to make a trade. And that, you have the answer to that long before you make the trade. You know, that, that determination now. And that, you know, this is what we want to do, even though a trade might not happen until draft night. When you look at this Bears roster, do you see them as a team that you think needs to add? I mean, I know you said you would probably consider trading down from the third pick, but do you think they need or they would be better suited being able to add more talent with, with extra picks? Or do you think they're a roster that's really in need of like that game changing talent that you just might not be able to get if you're not picking third overall? Well, I think if you look at this year's draft, and again, I'll go back to the injury thing. You got some unanswered questions with some of these guys that are legitimate type players. Uh, I don't think Jamal, a lot of people are mocking Jamal Adams to the Bears at three. I don't think he's a player you take at three. First of all, you, to take a safety in the top five, he's got to be real special. Now, I'm, I'm on record as saying I think Malik Hooker is real special if, and it's a big if, he's medically cleared. If he's not, I don't want him. 
Jamal Adams is a good college football player, very good college football player. I don't see special. Part of it was his combine workout. People are, are and, and another part, he's only had one interception this year. He had four last year, but he had one in the 2016 season. People are complaining with uh, about Jabril Peppers having only one interception. Well, that's what Jamal Adams had. Then you look at 31-and-a-half-inch vertical jump, four, five, six in the 40, and those aren't special numbers for a skill position guy to take in the top five. And you look at the history of the position in the draft, the highest of safety has gone um, – in the last 15 years, 18 years, is number five. And there's only a few that have gone at number five, and one is Eric Berry. Eric Berry was a special talent coming out of the University of Tennessee. And in the last 10 years, there's only two gone in the top 10. The other was Mark Barron, who went at seven to uh, Tampa Bay, and he failed as a safety and is now a hybrid linebacker for the Los Angeles Rams. So is it a position that you take without the player being special. Now, again, I like Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams, if you trade down to 10 and Jamal Adams is there at 10, I'm thinking about it, but I'm not taking him at three. Now, granted, you know, he had this pro day the other day. He ran better. You know, original reports were saying in the four threes, talked to people that were uh, scouts that were there. No NFL scout had him in the four threes. And it averages out to around four, four, five. I think when you look at tape, you see a player that plays around 4.47, 4.48. That's his game speed. Um, but the 4.3 the was a fictitious number, and that's what LSU had. And then Mike Mayak, I think, had a 4.38. But he's not the first guy in line at the 40. He's about 10 people back. So his time could be a little bit faster. And if you were ever a pro day, you'd understand what I'm talking about because they have a, a line of players on each side of the 40 or a line of scouts on each side of the 40 tying him. And the guys who were, you know, the first and second guy in line generally are going to have a little bit more accurate time than a guy sitting in the back of the line. But anyway, the the most accurate times that I've been able to gather have been in the, the mid-4-4s, and I think that's probably the right speed for the guy. It is a real good speed, um, but again, I don't see – he didn't redo – the vertical jump, he only ran 140. Uh, that tells me that he could have trained hard for that 40, and it's a manufactured speed that reality is he's a 4-5 mm-hmm. guy. Um, a lot of times you look, you correlate the jumps with the speed. A lot of times fast guys jump far. They have that lower body explosiveness. And in his case, he ran at the combine, and that's you know running on the same surface and jumping on the same surface as all the other guys on the same day. So it's a legitimate comparison. He jumped poorly and he ran slow. So and when he didn't jump again, that tells me he didn't jump again because he can't jump. And if he can't jump, is he legitimately a four? Four five four four seven four four eight guy, or is he really a four five two four five three type of guy? Now, if he jumped thirty six, thirty six and a half, then I would have been a little bit more excited because he's got the raw athleticism. But he didn't do it, and I can guarantee you, there's people around the league that are saying, "Why didn't he jump?" And for the and and they're saying the same thing that I'm saying. It's because you have the experience of knowing how numbers correlate for the different drills that you do. Now, I know we're running short on time. You are like 
the Jesse Owens of draft info, just taking the baton and taking off of that gold. I, I, I just want to ask you, Greg, there's one guy I know I'm a big fan of. He's polarizing because of the off-the-field issues. He's in your backyard. You have a good perspective on it, and that's Chad Kelly. The Bears have the need for a quarterback if they miss in the first round and people are trading up to try to grab that fifth-year option on these quarterbacks, quarterbacks and Pace misses out on a guy and Peterman goes somewhere. Is Chad Kelly the type of guy that you could think the Bears – could develop into a starter in the NFL? Well, I'll, I'll answer what I think first. And, and mm-hmm. I, I like Kelly. I like his, his raw traits. He's ultra competitive. Uh, he can make plays. Um, he comes up with big plays at the opportune time. He's got gunslinger in him. He's a lot like his uncle, Jim Kelly. Very, very similar type games as to what Jim Kelly had. And I was working for the Bills part-time when Kelly got, when Jim Kelly got drafted. And they're, they're very similar. I think they're similar personalities. Now, he's had some off-field issues. I think a lot of it, and being that I'm originally from Buffalo, I've you know, been able to dig into it. He's not a criminal. I think he's a very immature kid, probably because of who he is, has some entitlement to him, thinks he's bigger than he is. Um, but I think... You know he's he's been dealt so many bad things in the, in, in the last year with the injury and stuff that you know I think he's had a dose of humility humility thrown at him and and you know he, he'll get into a uh, a camp and he he's going to be fine but now the, what you don't know is when can he play he's coming off an ACL now he tried to do the workout and then his, he had a problem with the wrist. He's going to do something again, I think on the 22nd or 23rd of April, as far as being able to throw, obviously he's not going to be able to run for teams, but when they measured him, he didn't, he wasn't quite as tall as a lot of people would like he listed as six, two. I was hoping that he'd be six, two and a quarter, like Peterman was listed at six, two, and it turned out to be six, two and a half. Well, Kelly was six one and three quarters. You know that that six two line is a kind of a magic number, and then when you figure in some of the off field issues and the injury, will he be able to play as a rookie? Could be a guy that you gotta, you know, put on NFI for the uh, for the year because he's coming off that ACL. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to go late. Um, could be redshirted for his rookie year, but I think down the road he's going to end up being a starter. Whether he's a quality starter, that remains to be seen. But there's some things about him that I really, really like. I like his arm talent. I like his accuracy, his ball placement ability. and, And he's got some natural leadership skills on the field. It's the other issues that you worry about, the immaturity issues. He's going to have to grow up and become a pro uh, he has good guides in his uncle. I'm going to tell you, his uncle was no angel when he came out of the University of Miami, <laughs> as a lot of people in that class. You know, Brett Favre was neither, neither was uh, Dan Marino, but they grew up, they became men, they uh, matured, and, and they became outstanding pros. But today's, you know, with um, everything digital and you got the cell phone cameras and everything else, nobody can get away with anything anymore. Somebody's got it on a, on a uh, phone camera. So, but getting back to the Bears and Kelly, as far as I know, they haven't done a whole lot on him. They didn't go to his pro day. 
He's not coming in for a visit. At least he hadn't come in for a visit yet. You can still bring guys in for, you know, till a week before the draft. Um, so that tells me he's not a guy that they're real interested in. And, you know, that's their determination, you know, based on the research uh, that they have. They're probably looking for a certain type of player at that position. And, um, you know, with some of the problems they had with Jay Cutler personality-wise and leadership-wise, they're probably looking for, a you know, a different type of personality than uh, Chad Kelly can give you. And, and we'll just see what happens to him as a pro once he gets into the league next year. Well, Greg, we've taken a good 45, 50 minutes of your time here, and we don't want to don't want to keep you on too long. So I, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been every time we talk to you, it's it's a great, and I just want to like sit back and take notes because it's <laughs> it's just perspective that you can't get anywhere else. And I really appreciate having you on. It's really it's really something special whenever you open up and, and tell us about some of this, your, not only your experiences but sort of the things you've seen that that no one else has. So I want to thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we got to lock you in after the draft and kind of get this man's perspective on it because you don't hold any punches greg you just tell the truth and that's how you roll and there's nothing better than that it's so refreshing and 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 it's so uplifting talking to you because i get excited about the whole process rekindling well, I, myself not that i tell the truth i tell you how i feel uh, well, i may be wrong yeah, you know, hey. I'm, I'm gonna give you my opinion. And, You're not and a politician. That, that that's how I was brought up in this business. You know, from George Young. George Young told me back in 1984 when he hired me my first full-time scouting job in '84 with the Giants. He said, "I didn't hire you to shut up." <laughs> well, we don't and, want. And, to and he goes, and and he said, "I didn't hire you for you to listen to my opinion. If you're gonna agree with me, I don't need you." So, you know, I give my opinion, and I'm strong with my opinion. So, um, and if people want to disagree with me, that's fine. That's their prerogative. But they got to be as strong as I am with why they're disagreeing with me. I don't want to hear, well, because he's better. Why? (laughs) Well, Tell me why. What does he do better? You're never short on information and opinion and we never want you to shut up we want you to come back and wrap up what pace did and and put it into perspective from your angle because i i trust this man i believe in greg i don't always see eye to eye with greg and he'll be the first one to tell me what he thinks that i'm wrong about and that's why i respect him because he is he's done it he's proven and he's just a great human being, and I appreciate you coming on, Greg, with us. Sure, anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Well, that was pretty spectacular stuff we got from Greg there. I mean, I don't know where else you can get sort of that kind of perspective from someone who's done it. I mean, it's it's so valuable to have a guy like him in the media now and you know, being able to sort of share some of these things that you know you only really get when you've actually been there and been through it. And Greg... I mean, obviously, he, you know, his Bears drafts, there's plenty of room for criticism, obviously. I mean, no one was 100%, and there were certainly some picks that I'm sure he would like to get back. But, I mean, he has been through it before, and it's just great to be able to hear that kind of stuff. And I'm so glad we were able to have him on and, and being able to share that with our audience. Phil? Yeah, I mean, to find the backstory on the team you love, as I've said before in talking to Greg, I mean, 
these are the teams you rooted for, so they're up in the master control of the situation that's going on moving forward with the Chicago Bears. This is the position that Ryan Pace is in now. You know, these guys aren't gods of gods. They're just men, football men. And hopefully, as we move closer towards the draft, Lauren, these guys have their plans uh, and really understand the value that the pick number three holds and the importance that this holds for the future of the franchise, Lauren. I mean, it's it's absolutely huge between a Malik Hooker, as he said. Is it Deshaun Watson? You felt his feelings on Adams. Is it one of those defensive linemen that drops? Is Allen their guy, really, ultimately? Do the shoulders check out? Like he said, he doesn't miss practices or games. Is that one of those Laramie Tunsil 10 minutes before the draft, you know, political nightmares to, to move him up or down, or excuse me, down the draft? Yeah, I'm almost wondering if, like if there's something else that's gonna happen you know what i mean like exactly it's like the way the way that was such a surprise last year i'm I'm almost like looking forward to see like oh man what's gonna what's gonna happen this year who's gonna have the the bong gas mask video (laughs) the day of this year that's gonna drop somebody down but you know i hope that you know ryan pace and company i mean they've seemed like they've been pretty pretty well prepared east draft at least they they make it seem like it when they you know finish up their picks and talk to us and talk, talk to the fans in the media and you know, talk about their process and all that. You know, we identified Leonard Floyd as the guy who wanted to get it. It all sounded like everything kind of went according to plan. Even even if with the Tunzel video, they still kind of made it sound like, well, yeah, we were we were ready for that and it didn't really affect us. And we you know we identified Cody Whitehair and all this stuff. So I'm I'm looking forward to sort of that. You know, it's it's almost like a calming sort of uh, an understanding that okay, I I think these guys kind of know what they're doing. I mean, at least a little bit. We've seen him his draft picks be successful, and you know, even if there are other things that we haven't liked. That Ryan Pace has done for the most part, this draft thing seems to be what he's got figured out. I mean, again, for the most part, Kevin White is obviously the Kevin White situation, but there's been a lot of encouraging signs from him in, in that department, and it makes you feel positive going in. You know, and been past right, general right. managers, you don't even you know you go in like, oh man, what is what is Jerry Angelo going to do this year? Oh God, you know, who is he going to take in the first round? But this year, it's like, okay, Phil Emery's going to get some good players, and then I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes down. I'm looking at Ryan Pace and, uh, you know, Leonard Floyd, as we've said on this show before, really showed us what we were questioning. The only concern we have, Lauren, as we've talked about on and off the air on Bears Hour Live is the injury stuff. You know, is he heavy enough? Is he physical enough? You know, that kind of raw potential, because basically all these picks our potential. There's no guarantee. There's no lock. Every time there was a guarantee, we can go through the history and show you it's a 50-50 shot. The guaranteed guy was the bust. So you look at it and all the signs to me, based on what it is you're looking at and you're looking forward to, and I don't want to be a spoiler to what we have coming up on the future shows, because we've got some shows coming up, Lauren. We're going to do a midweek show the next two weeks leading up to the draft and i don't want to spoil it i'm what i think i know people know what i think should happen at three and i think we got to get deep into that so i don't want to ruin that here let's talk a bit about because we're coming up against the clock right yeah oh yeah we're getting down to under four minutes left in the show but i wanted, well, I wanted to mention too you know yeah, with, go ahead. With, with greg 
I mean, obviously, he hasn't worked for the Chicago Bears for, what, four or five years when he retired, I think, in 2012. But I, I, do, want, I do think people should pay close attention to sort of what he said because he does know people within this organization and a lot mm-hmm. of other organizations in the NFL. So when he says things about, you know, the Bears, you know, they don't always show interest in the guys that they like, but and, and then mentions how they haven't worked out Mitch Trubisky. Like, to me, that's... Mm-hmm. That's, that's a sign. That's a sign that maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe he's heard something. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, they've, they've done a lot of work on Watson and Kaiser and Mahomes, but they haven't done Trubisky after having just said, you know, the Bears don't always do a lot of work on the guys that they end up taking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my head, that was that was an instant, like, ding, like, be on the lookout for Mitch Trubisky there. And then a lot of little things. I'm going to go back and listen to this interview again and then note kind of the things that Greg gave his opinion on and, and Kind of just link to see if there's some some connection there to maybe a little bit of what he's heard about the Bears without him explicitly revealing that. One other thing I want to say about Greg also is that you know everybody could be you know throwing stones you know at people, but this guy's done it before. This isn't a guy on Twitter that's come up the way. You know this guy's been in the 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 war room, the draft room. He's been talking to the GM, and he's done it with your Chicago Bears. You know, say what you want. He just stands up for his truth, and I have nothing but respect for that and the man. And if you don't follow Greg, you should at Greg Gabriel on Twitter and check out his Pro Football Weekly Draft Guide. You can also buy the electronic copy on Twitter. And I just really appreciated greg coming on the show he will come back on and later this off season and recap what the bears did lauren and that should be another fun show with greg because as you can see he's not short on opinion and time he does not leave anything left on the table so to speak and that's the difference with greg versus you know your your average not only your average twitter draft fan but even your media draft analyst is when greg makes it a, a scouting report on a player and is wrong, there's a consequence. And when he makes a scouting report on a player and is right, there's also a consequence. And so that he he has been, in both directions, positive and negative, been held accountable for his draft mm-hmm. opinion. And that's something that no one else on Twitter, besides like the Daniel Jeremiah's, the people that have been NFL scouts and had that experience before, that's the kind of thing where he's he's allowed to be able to have those strong opinions because in the past they've actually mattered unlike mm-hmm. most other people on Twitter and, and you and I really I mean our our draft opinions realistically don't matter but his his did for a long time and I think they still do especially with the amount he talks to people throughout the league but we're going to have to wrap it up here uh, uh Phil started teasing that, that yeah, we're going to start doing a couple Thursday shows pre you know before the draft we're going to do a, a mock draft show we're also going to go through the Bears big board and and talk about who should be taken at the third pick and sort of a a board of of how it should play out depending on how the draft plays out so be on the lookout for that um on wednesday we're going to be doing another film room video we're going to be doing forrest lamp the offensive tackle from western kentucky yes. we're talk about why you know a lot of people see him as a guard we both see him as a tackle and we're going to show you kind of why he compares in our eyes to joe thomas they're very similar players and i know that's sort of like the well all, all good draft tackles he compared to joe thomas but physically they're they're very very similar players so be on the lookout for that on wednesday and then when we actually get to the draft in three weeks, we're planning to go live every night of the draft to bring you instant reaction from the Bears' picks of that day. Maybe we'll get some guests lined up. We're still trying to figure that out. But we are going to be on potentially three, four days in a row each night of the draft and then our, our usual Sunday show after the draft. So 
we got a lot of great stuff in the pipeline here for Bears Hour Live, and we hope that you will join us. If you can follow Bears Hour Live on Twitter, we've got a YouTube channel. Phil is at, Phil, at full Phil O on Twitter. I'm at CockSports1. It's it's a lot of fun doing this. You know, we do this for you guys. We don't make any money off of this, at least <laughs> at least not yet. Maybe someday down the line, <laughs> but it's it's a good time, and, and, and we hope that you enjoy all our work. So with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this edition of Bears Hour Live. Bear down. Bear down.